episode number four, Drawing Your Own Path. We're just listening to a tune called Smiling the Blues Away by Jelly Roll... Jelly Roll... Smiling the Blues Away by Jelly Roll Morton and his trio from 1941. It's an appropriate title for today's show, Smiling the Blues Away. We're going to speak with Amy Maracle, whose wonderful Facebook group is called Creative Self-Care. And after I discovered the very active Facebook group, I also discovered that she ran a website called MindfulArtStudio.com. When you visit there, you find she has ebooks, uh, she has online classes. Just introducing a new online class, probably as this podcast comes out, called Fluid Art, and we talk about that in uh, this conversation. She does mentoring, so it's a great resource for those interested in uh, creativity, contemplative work, therapy work. And don't forget to visit uh, the Drawing Your Own Path Facebook group. Join up and join us on Tuesday nights for our Drawing Bee. Tuesdays at 9 uh, Eastern Time, we sit and draw together. It's a wonderful time. It's a great excuse uh, during your week to spend an hour drawing uh, with others who are just equally enthusiastic about drawing. Um, and uh, if you subscribe uh, through iTunes to this podcast, please go there and give us a five-star rating. It really helps, helps people, helps get the word out. I'm doing my best to get the podcast some wider distribution. I have so many interesting people coming up to interview. It turns out when you start digging in, the crossovers between the contemplative world and the creative world are vast, and people have thought about it in many different ways. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with everyone, and so I hope to have your continued support. So thank you for listening. Please enjoy this interview with Amy Maracle. I want to welcome Amy Maracle, someone I've wanted to interview for a long time, someone whose work I've followed for a long time on Facebook and her classes and her postings and her blog. So I'm um, really an honor today to have you, Amy. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really a lot of fun. And I was uh, I was really attracted to your site in the very beginning because it was called Creative Self-Care. And I was really very interested in creative self-care. And people who know my work know that I sort of came into the understanding of creativity as something personal when it had meaning for me and making me uh, feel better and understand myself better. Um, you are an art therapist and you have training as and do and practicing art therapy is that correct yeah so um creative self-care is a facebook group that i started um as something totally as you say it's overlapping but it's totally separate from my art therapy work so um maybe i'll talk about kind of art therapy first and kind of differentiate a little bit and then talk about uh, mindful art studio and what that is and the Facebook. Yeah, no, I think that'll be great. You, you, uh, when we d led up to the interview, you made some distinctions there, and I think it's really interesting to know uh, wh where the borders are and what where yeah. it's important and useful to one person or another. So yeah. yeah, so let's begin with art therapy. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't uh, know. Um, so I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? Because there are a lot of us use the term therapy 
just kind of in a, you know, in a colloquial way, right? Like we go shopping and we say that we have retail therapy, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. something that I personally enjoy sometimes <laughs> for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, so art therapy sometimes gets a little bit tossed around like that, which, you know, different people have different feelings about. I don't get overexcited about that. I, it's fine. I think people need to use language in the way that feels right to them. Um, I do think it's helpful to know what art therapy actually is. So in strict terms, art therapy really is any therapeutic work that happens in an office, just like talk therapy would, um, except that you're using visual media to help the client explore. So it's the same as in a regular talk therapy relationship. There would be established treatment goals and um, not always, but often a diagnosis, depending on if it's paid through insurance and all that. Um, so it's, it's basically the same as talk therapy, except that you're incorporating the arts and the visual and different parts of the brain and different ways of problem solving, um, into and, that. And do you do this, um, by looking uh, at art and talking about art or by actually making art into sessions? Um, I mean, it can incorporate a lot of things. Usually it means that the client is actually engaged in art making because that helps you to, again, look at things and problem solve in a totally new way. And of course, you know, we can all do that to some degree all by ourselves, right? And then that's the part where it's art for healing or art for self-care, all kind of personal use. And the difference just comes in when you have an art therapist because you've got this person who's facilitating that process with you, looking deeply into questions and issues and mental health stuff. Um, but when you're using it all by yourself, it might indeed be very therapeutic, but it's not art therapy. Yeah, I get that. So so for the same reasons you'd go to see a therapist uh, without the art mm-hmm. or um, solving some difficulties or some yep. tight passages, you'd, you'd go and do, see an art therapist. Uh, and as I know, and anyone who's making drawings every day knows that, that just getting it out, getting that energy out, getting oh, the creativity absolutely. out is so, so helpful, right? So it's healthy. so helpful. And, you know, ultimately that was why I created, um, mindful art studio. So that's my website is mindful art studio. And then our Facebook group is called creative self care. Um, because really that that's kind of like the main thing that I feel like, you can get out of doing art. I mean, that's why I do art for myself, right? You know, because it is so much how I take care of myself. It's certainly not the only way, and I wouldn't advocate it being the only way that people take care of themselves. But I just find so much, uh, and I know that this there's great overlap with you, that I just find there's just so much... Um, it's such a rich world in there. If you start to really open it up and explore and give yourself permission to kind of get that inner critic out of the way so that you can just kind of openly discover and create and just see what's in there. And to me, that's a lot of what feels so good and so healing and so um, transformative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think what you're, you're pointing out what I call like the, the healing side of the whole process but it, when you talk about creative self-care, it's it of course involves exactly what you're describing: get find, discovering uh, uh, memories that are buried in there, and finding out different ways that you can think visually versus verbally. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a kind of an upside too. Yeah, making discovery, discovering your own creativity, and seeing mm-hmm. it move into other aspects of your life, and seeing 
the whole world is a creative place. So, so yeah. a, to say creative self-care is not doesn't just mean getting better from something that's bad. It means from the place where you are, you know, opening up and expanding and discovering. Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a whole, I think there's a whole range of, of, of uh, improvement. I don't even want to say improvement. There's a whole range of discovery that could be, uh, that, that's, that's there for the person who's doing the art practice every day. Yeah. I mean, I think I, what I hear you saying is that there's just a lot of different ways to use art to feel good. And I okay. agree. <laughs> yeah, or right. yeah, you feel feel good, and and also just to yeah to to not feel bad, which is maybe different, mm -hmm. and sure. and to and to find something new, you know, to 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 surprise ourselves. Absolutely. Maybe, that maybe even neither good nor bad, but something interesting. To... <laughs> mm -hmm. I think you know, as the art therapist Pat Allen said, um, art is a way of knowing. It's a way of there knowing you yourself. Yeah, I think it can lead to that deep self-knowledge. I think that's true. That's where I'm pointing, I think. So thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mindfulartstudio.com. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also it's a little slightly different angle than creative self-care. And uh, by bringing in the mindful part, do you want to say anything about uh, your experience in mindfulness, why sure. you started there? Okay. Sure. Part of my self-care is using my art in a very mindful way. And I'm not even sure that that's a very always... I don't know that that started as a very purposeful thing. I think I just started to notice, uh, you know, I was learning about mindfulness and I started to notice that I was able to tune into my senses, my five senses while I was creating and that it was a really excellent way to tune in, but also that it gave me that meditative type, losing time, getting into the state of flow kind of experience in a way that was just much easier for me than if I sat down to meditate or even to do, um, you know, even just focusing on breathing or even a gazing meditation, um, which are all wonderful ways. I just happen to find the most satisfaction and joy in doing, um, you know, a sort of mindful art practice. And again, sometimes my art practice is very mindful and sometimes it's probably a lot less right. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think part of yeah, what that's I... Beautiful. Yeah, I think part of what I enjoy about it is that I don't have to, at least for me personally, I don't have to try so hard. And I think a lot of my students find that too. Um, and I think that's part of why it is such good self-care, because that is part of what helps me stay on an even keel, because it's time that I can stop being so divided in my attention, stop looking at the right. stupid phones. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think something we can approach with joy uh, that we want to do, that we like to do, and that will bring us to that state is really a great, I mean, that's the perfect practice, really. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you you um, talk about mindfulness and you talk about the senses, of course, the first foundation of mindfulness in the Buddhist teaching is uh, awareness of senses. Mm -hmm. So it so it's it really is the place to start and really yeah. fits in. And there's some good evidence to show that when we engage uh, two or more of our senses that the inner dialogue do, does quiet down. Mm-hmm. And I think that anybody who's drawn and gotten into it experiences that. Yeah, absolutely. So did, did you study mindfulness at all in classes or anything like that? Or was, uh, that, was it just side well, reading? and Lots of different places. So um, I've practiced yoga for a really long time. Along that route, I certainly did some, you know, mindfulness meditation, some through reading, some through classes. I did some chanting. I did, mm -hmm. you know... Um, and then, of course, when I went to school for art therapy, I was in an expressive therapy program. 
Um, and it wasn't mindfulness based per se, but I just found that it tuned into a lot of those things that I had studied. And then, um, also when I was working full-time as, as an art therapist and working with kids who, uh, had trauma, I was trained in a particular type of, um, trauma intervention that uses a lot of, uh, body oriented interventions. So just basically meaning that, you know, you're kind of using a bunch of different tools that you might use in the gym, but helping you to regulate your feelings and your emotions through that. And that kind of, again, came at the whole mindfulness thing from a totally different direction. It's not considered mindfulness, but once I learned it, I was like, oh, this is expressive therapy. This is mindfulness because you have to tune in to exactly what's going on in your body and noticing like, oh, you know, most of what you're doing is like, okay, so when you're bouncing on that yoga ball, what are you noticing? Oh, that, you know, butterfly feeling in my stomach is starting to change. So it's just this very, like, you have to start very carefully tuning into and tracking all of those inner and outer experiences, both physically what's happening in your body. And then what does that mean about what I'm feeling? So it's just lots of things interweaving and coming together for me. Yeah, I think it's so natural. It seems so natural for you the way the two just blend into each other. The, mm-hmm. the mindfulness, the self care, the body awareness. It's all. I, I can see where you're where you're sitting and 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 how how the sights and stuff have come out of that. So that's that's really nice. It's nice to know that, and that's a very strong background. I think the experience is really helpful when you're when you're moving forward and trying to work with people. Well, and that's been the joy of Mindful Art Studio. You know, I'm not doing art therapy with people. I am teaching, I'm using what I know to help teach people to use art in a either mindful or just joyful way for self-discovery and just self, self-expression and fun, right? I mean, that's half of what I'm yeah. here is to teach people to have fun again and and to play. And playfulness is a really healing element. And, you know, it sounds like you're, you're aware there's a lot of yeah, research yeah. now showing how <laughs> helpful play can be uh, for healing. So, you know, with Mindful Art Studio, it's, it's been a real joy to be able to kind of give people teaching and guidance about how you can use these things for yourself to feel good, you know, in an everyday yeah. kind of way. But don't, don't you think it's gotten in the air sort of nationally, oh, yeah, worldwide? Of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, the timing for me to be around is both not a mistake and good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's perfect. And I think that, that you could uh, see mindfulness in stress reduction, mindfulness in therapy, mindfulness in exercise at this over. point. It's all over, and 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 I think society in general is more accepting of it, or more, or because we're so distracted and we're so busy that in fact it seems almost necessary now. It seems like it's the necessary medicine to the sort of our very. overscheduled lives. And very distracted, and I include myself in that. You know, I'm not coming Absolutely. from a place of uh, oh, I'm so you know on top of everything. <laughs> like I I am just as distracted as everybody else. Um, and especially as I look around and see us all staring at the phone instead of each other, it's a little scary. Um, <laughs> and sure. I'm not and, saying and... I never participate in that because I do. Um, of course. But I, I like to think that I'm helping to do something that goes against that, right? Because we're, you know, like, for instance, like just with the the class that I'm building, like, you know, making all these little accordion books all the time and just touching something 
you know, make yes, something yes. tangible and real and tactile is so important now. Yeah, and I think that we, um, because we use email and we use texts and we use uh, we use um, tweets and all that, we're we're very verbally based. We're very yeah. um, word based yeah. and we're very idea based, and we deal a lot in concepts. And I think to to mm -hmm. be able to suspend that reason and that rational thinking for a while and just see what happens when we do something, engage it physically and also visually, it turns on a whole other part of the brain. I think that's also where a lot of the relief comes in. Well, and I, I like what you just said about see what happens, because I, I think that's one of the things, at least for me personally, and I think for a lot of the folks who like the approach that I take, right, recognizing that, you know, it's not for everybody, some things are going to be for some people. Um, but for those folks, I think what works about it is like, so I'm someone who tends more towards kind of the anxious side of the spectrum versus the depressive side of the spectrum. So you know, I'm one of those people who's a little more type A, a little more likes to be in control, a little more likes to have things scheduled. If anyone's listening to this, they're probably laughing at me saying a little, Amy, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> but um, it, I, I think that ability in art to just sit there and go like, huh, let's see what's going to happen here and just have that real openness. Number one is kind of like a vacation for me. <laughs> because right. I don't, I'm not controlling it very much, but also it's this great practice that then I can say like, oh, you know, maybe I ought to sit back a little and just kind of like I do with the paint or like I do when I'm developing images yes. with gel pen. Maybe I ought to just kind of put a few marks down and then sit back for a minute and observe just like I do with my art. Hmm, how about that? <laughs> yeah, it's you beautiful. It, leaks, it goes one way into your life to help you free up. And probably the control uh, comes into the art to help direct and get you going sure. and make you do things. So beautiful little um, symbiosis there. Yeah, and you definitely, you know, if if it's too open, or as you you know, if it's too open, you can't, it's, it's too open, there's no place to start. Yes. You need a structure. And, you know, for me right now, this could change in a year or something, it's working small, right? It's yeah. just very contained and that's, opened up a whole world for me because I'm constantly tinkering. Oh, you have little small work. I, I work on these five by four, five by six cards for maybe 20 years now, every day. Right. And I have stacks. Stuff. We'll pull up a stack. I wish stacks. I could see it better, though. It, oh, you're you fuzzy stacks enough. Stacks and stacks of them. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Maybe you I can email .com. me. You can <laughs> oh, there we go. Thousands. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So uh, I can master the format of five by six, you know, and, and mm -hmm. um, without... Without having to make big gestures, you yes. know, and having to, I can work, my, my yeah. hand can, uh, gesture can span the entire width, yeah. you know, with one stroke, so okay. I can be all on it. It's made of very simple material, which costs maybe five cents or something, so if I mess one up, how would that happen? Exactly. But if, if I somehow thought it was messed up, I could toss it, it wouldn't bother me. Exactly. Or if you're uh, me, you'd punch a hole of one little bit out of it that you thought was pretty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it could alter it. I'm saying the material, the material yeah. cost does not become an encumbrance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the the size, there's there's no there's no way I'm going to put this uh, in a you know in a big show in a gallery and try to make this the mainstay of some, right. some kind of art. It, it, so there's no idea that it that it's not good enough or good enough to be shown. So all it's that goes away butter. with a small format. Yeah, it's just a little a little snack, a little yeah. art snack every day. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I so I agree with that for sure. 
the the, the size is it does matter in this case that you can work and you can work quickly you can finish it in 10 minutes or something like that the small thing you can cover it completely exactly or that's you can work thing. on it for hours that's the thing that i think is satisfying right because i i think people get when they first start they get frustrated that that it's it takes a long time to do something really well and probably there's a balance between something being too small and then therefore more difficult but at least with what I'm doing with like these more organic kind of forms, I think it, it just lends itself to, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it well, but I, I think it just makes it easier because it's very bite-sized. It's fairly quick. Yep. You can spend a long time on it, but it can be very quick too. And I think you get the sense of accomplishment like, Oh, I made something. Hey, yeah. I'm not so bad. <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing you see is if you can get people to just go that far, and do that first one. Uh, yeah. uh, an hour later, when they come back to that thing, right. it 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 works in a way that that it becomes part of you. It becomes something you start to love. You start mm -hmm. to see that, that it starts to pay benefits right away. If you just get over that first hump of just making that first thing, yeah. Or or the the multiple firsts too, right? Because I find right. that as well. Like for a lot of people, the first hump, yes, but then coming back a lot of the time gets scary too. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, only every day for me. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> There's only hesitation every time. Right. Um, okay, so uh, we want to know more about Amy, a little background, if you sure. will. Um, where, where, what were you like growing up? Where did you start? What were your, what were your thoughts? Um, let's see. Uh, well, I always loved um, the outdoors, and I always loved the arts broadly. Um, I was more drawn to, um, I would say poetry and songwriting and very much so performance art, um, in acting and singing when I was a kid. So I did a lot, a lot, a lot of that. And I was always mm. kind of the ham of the family, <laughs> never shy. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, and my daughter's like that. Okay. She's a performer. Nice. And were, you were you're in New England now. Were you always in New England? I wasn't. My grandparents are from here. My my maternal grandparents are from here, but I grew up um I like to say everywhere in a 1-hour radius of the cultural hub of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. <laughs> I say that with a lot of sarcasm. <laughs> uh I I would have probably, you know, love to be somewhere a, a little bit more metropolitan in terms of just culturally. But, um, you know, I still have a lot of great experiences. Sure. And you, you were in nature a lot, I'm sure. I outdoors. was. I was. And in high school, I was, um, I lived on a horse farm. I rode horses uh, for most of my childhood. That was what I did, you know, during the week and every weekend I was showing and I was very fortunate. Wow. Very yeah, my my uh, wife uh, did dressage, ah. and um, so, sometimes we have a, a discussion about the therapeutic aspects of uh, horse riding. Oh, definitely. And the... No, and there are programs that use it. You know, I did certainly some visual art as a kid, for sure. Uh, and then in college, I had wanted to do photography forever, 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 and I started doing that and got very into that. And then... Um, you know, continued to do some visual art on the side. I had sort of uh, let go of some of the performance stuff, you know, when I kind of woke up and realized I didn't really want to do that as my job and whatever. And then, um, yeah, and then I ended up going to school and um, becoming a, I was a Spanish major and I had about a 
whatever, like an ad hoc practically at a million different minors. But uh, I ended up, my first kind of life was being a human rights activist around mm. issues with Guatemala. Um, and wow. that was a very cool experience. But I realized I wanted, I felt too stressed out by trying to work on political change. So I shifted to personal change. And at the same time, I was discovering people like Sark uh, and uh, Julia Cameron. And, right. And um, then I found out about art therapy and Kathy Malchioti and a bunch of different stuff. And so it all just kind of came together. Um, and so I did that for a number of years. And then um, at, at that point, it, some point I needed a schedule shift. And so I started working, um, in private practice and then started doing some workshops and then mindful art studio was just sort of organically. Right. <laughs> right. So it's been pointing that when you started in therapy, was it always involving the art? Yes. So yeah, you had that directive from the beginning, the visual parts of it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it was a very direct route. Like I said, yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't study, you know, talk therapy straight. I studied, well, you have to study some of them as well, but it was a, a joint track. Uh, and you're still doing uh, some private practice as well. I am. Yeah, I do that uh, two days a week. And then the other three, I work on Mindful Art Studio and balance everything else. <laughs> okay, yeah. So let's uh, let's just kind of talk about uh, Mindful Art Studio and the creative self-care and the offerings that you have, because I know you have a lot of things out there. You have classes. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have the blog going, so you want, maybe you could tell us about some of the classes. I know there's one that's one sort of just underway or just about to get underway. Yeah, so um, I have a I, I've tried to put out sort of a range so that um, I'm covering bases for people based on kind of economics and also kind of what you're looking for. So you know, I have an ebook uh, on how to start an art journal, and then I've got. Uh, a course called Freeing the Muse, which is really very much geared toward, I do a lot of inner critic work with people, but um, that one's really geared towards like, okay, you know, we all have this inner critic that gets in the way. Here's a bunch of exercises. It's like an hour long video class geared at helping people to work through some of that inner critic stuff and just kind of break through by literally just learning to play with a bunch of different art materials in a very guided way. And then um, I have a kind of the next level up, I have a course called Art Journaling 101, um, which does different work with kind of looking at getting the inner critic out of the way, finding your inner muse, and then um, uh, a bunch of foundational stuff. It's good for people who either are at the very beginning and don't have a lot of art experience or art journaling experience, or who want to look at um, the whole art journaling experience, again, from a very intuitive forgiving, let's see what happens kind of approach. Like I had one artist who said, you know, oh, I was, I was wondering if it was going to feel repetitive after taking Freeing the Muse where I had such a great experience, but it was so, the inner critic stuff was so different. And then it really helped me to reapproach. Like I got so programmed to produce art for consumption basically. And this really helped me to kind of get in touch with some of those inner places that as a kid got me into making art in the first perfect. place. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, I love I love that because it is such a vast range. Uh, when I teach it, um, I start with uh, some techniques, but um, I, yeah, I quickly run into self-observation, uh, stages of mindfulness, mm -hmm. storytelling, and and it 
I, I taught a six hour workshop about two weeks ago and we didn't get to the end. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's how much work there is. That's yeah. Fun. It's just, there's so many aspects to it. I think it's interesting you're pointing that out and which ones you take and yeah. there's so many ways to spin it and so many pass through. And of course, every day is a new discovery. So yeah. who knows where it's going to take you. So that's also a really great thing about it. So the new one is called Fluid Art? It is. Yeah, I'm really excited about this class. It's kind of um, the culmination of, uh, you know, for the last couple of years in my Facebook group, Creative Self-Care, it's been this great opportunity. That and a little bit my mentoring work with people too. It's been this great opportunity to kind of have this, focus group in a way and find out like what are the things that are getting in the way for people? What are the things that get people excited about art and, you know, that they want to do? And I ended up uh, a few years ago starting to play with uh, high flow liquid acrylic paint, which I had never even knew about and uh, discovered that I could make all sorts of crazy, weird creatures. And it did that same sort of thing that I learned to tap into in expressive therapy and art therapy school where, you know, you kind of get these weird, crazy shapes in, you know, those different methods, but with the paint, you can sort of do things like blow it out and make all these crazy shapes. And then you can start to use the gel pens to then find fantastic creatures and forms and animals. And it's this great way that you can then project from your unconscious, all these little scenes and you can start to imagine and develop these little worlds that you didn't even really know were there. So I started doing the storytelling part that I, yeah, Yeah. So I started doing that. And then at some point, I don't remember why, but I started uh, punching out circles and squares and started working really tiny. Uh, like one and a half inch squares, which I then put on like little O-rings so they're their their own little journal. Uh, And then also circle punch outs that range from like three inches all the way down to one in diameter and realized that I could just like pop out a ton of these where it helped me to really loosen up and not be so tight and just experiment a bunch and try this color with this and try this layering of this and you know, and so I would make, depending on the size, anywhere from 10 to like 40 in one sitting. Right. And then I could come back to them a few hours later or the next day and start working into them with gel pens. And, and again, find all these interesting, natural, organic looking scenes or creatures. And the fluid art refers to the paint, but it also refers to the process because when you start working small, the, the bits become very malleable because you can draw over them, you can mix and match them, you can put them in the accordion journals that we learned to make, you can frame them on the wall, like you can, you know, start to punch holes out of them, you can just do so much. And the more I play with it, the more I realize I can do that I'd never thought about before. Uh, and I'm actually really excited just to see what other people do with it. You know, I've got a, a pilot group of small pilot group of people just kind of testing it out to work out the kinks right now and then we release on july 10th i believe it is so right now it's in pre-sale yeah. um, so it'll be right around the time this is released this the the fluid art class online class will be available yeah and uh, i i love the wordplay i do that's the first thing i picked up was that i saw the images and there was a fluid liquid mm-hmm. in that sense but also the fluidity of working yeah so like you're saying there, I think it plays very nicely and it plays in the mind very nicely because you immediately think of both when you're, when oh, you're working. Good. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Uh, you say uh, you said a nice thing there, which I've seen you also talk about in your um, art journal, which I think is an interesting thing to work with people on, which is that you can go back on top of something that you can work back. And it seems like such a simple thing. Yeah. But um, a lot of people have the idea once they've made the drawing and it's done, it's done and that's over. And I know you've done things where you draw colors down on pages and the journal and then you go back back through the journal and you use the uh, the smears of the colors and things like that to start to work on top of. So I think that's a great. Yeah. I found that, um, uh, like stage based or layer based work has really facilitated, um, me knowing what to do when I sit down. That's kind of my, uh, methodology, I guess you would say. Uh, cause that's one of the things that I think people have a hard time with. And I think that's part of what I'm hoping this class will help people address, right? Because, you know, you've got all this prep work that you can do with just punching out these circles and squares or making the accordion journals. You can work on the paint part. You can work on doing the embellishment with the pens part. You can work on, you know, doing all sorts of crazy cutouts and things with the journals. Um, there's just, you know, and then you can start saying like, oh, I'm going to sew with these little circles. I mean, you just do so much. It's kind of crazy. Right. And do you, do you think not... Um limiting it in a way um in your examples to just flat art like what we think of as like a work on paper right. but but bringing in the three-dimensionality yeah. she's holding up a little booklet it's all put together their holes punched is beautiful yeah circle holes and it folds into a little book but it's also kind of sculptural right so you can start to use it in all sorts of different ways which i think is just so fun so realizing too like you know you can view it like a book but you could also have it open so that when you look down you see the inside points of view and through the yeah. holes uh, that you've cut. Yeah. So that, but that physicality offers another, another whole dimension to work with and to play with. And it, and it removes you in another way from mm, what we'd say is like traditional idea about what a piece of art is or something like that, that it's, it just becomes this whole other thing that you're doing. Exactly. And, and, and it just keeps coming back again to the fluidity thing, right? Cause when I right. built the course, I didn't, um, I wasn't doing anything on like the inside, right? <laughs> of the and it's a little hard to explain on a podcast, but you know, if you've got an accordion fold book and you've got kind of the sides that are what you think of as the normal pages of the book, but it's an accordion fold, so the back of each fold is not um glued or sewn into the spine of the book. So you can actually pull it out and see the inside of uh, that's what we're every seeing. page. Yeah. So it can be like a, it's like a little circle. Right. Uh, if you open it all the yeah. way up, or if you fold it up, it's a little. Right. It can be read like a little booklet. That's yeah. That's so nice. And now I'm playing with this kind of thing where it folds open. Like I really love kids' pop up books, and not yeah. that I'm doing anything nearly that complex, but even just something like this where you glue a flap that pops down from the page, so that it's almost like you've got two pages and a little floor. Um, right. It looks like a little stage. Yeah, set or exactly. Something. That's a better. Yeah, you know, you're offering uh, you're offering a very basic shape, which uh, lends itself to so much variation. You know, that's that, a good way that to it, say. That it's almost a practice a practice in itself, yes. just exploring the variations of the physical shape, and then the surface coating, of course, and all the painting exactly. on it. And yeah. I think some people will get more into the circles and what they can do with those and the squares, and other people will get more into the books. And it's interesting because I am not someone who really enjoys exactitudes. And normally with anything where there's measuring and cutting, 
I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Bye. <laughs> right. Um, but there's enough <laughs> That's... play room with this that it doesn't have to be so, 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 so exactly. I mean, right. you can't make an incredibly diagonal line and expect your book to sit flat. But aside from that. <laughs> right. Room. Right. Yeah. I know what you're saying about. So I got to, when I moved from uh, drawing on computer screens uh, and on paper to sort of trying to make physical objects, I bought a laser. Cutter. Oh, so I could have exactly yes. the exact. <laughs> wow. Size. I can't imagine. <laughs> and I was making uh, interlocked tiles oh and that sort of thing. Just because that was that was all of a sudden uh, the through the leverage of um, digital automated technology, you, uh, you could amplify a very small thing on a screen so into cool. something very large, and you could take a, a what what would be not a very good hand skill talent, and all of a sudden produce you know very kind of well crafted yeah. things. It's a really That's interesting intense. time we live in for that. Yeah, so someone with someone with uh, simple modeling skills can produce a sculpture. Yeah. You know, with the 3D uh, printers and things like that. So, cool. so we're in incredible, I think, incredible times as far as the possibilities of what we can express yeah. with ourselves. Uh, but I also think that um, as much as we can make, and we really, as, as a society, make tons and tons of stuff, mm -hmm. you know, that's uh, not, we don't find the satisfaction in that stuff until we have uh, in ourselves, you know, that in touch with that motivation in touch with the, with the sense of what we're doing and, yeah, what, and that the sense of our own creativity, personal investment in actually creating something tangible. Like we were talking about, I just think that's so satisfying now, especially. Yeah. And you can see so many sort of mimetic shapes and shapes that, that, uh, we know what a, we know what a water bottle looks mm -hmm. like. We know what a sneaker looks like, but what, and and so we think somehow that's ours. But when we make our own things and we start to see, oh, my God, this is reflecting my feelings toward my family. Yeah. This is reflecting my childhood. And you can see that reflected. And you realize how much more subtle and complicated our own creations are. Yeah, yeah that's well put. Cool. Okay. So um, what I'd like to do now is to kind of kind of just examine and focus a little bit and take apart if we can. Yeah, totally pull apart if we can the inner critic. Sure. Because I know you have great, great experience there. Oh. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, really deep, whatever you have to say. And and of course, I actually want to go back and just say one thing about it's going to be so super interesting when this course gets going and when you get a lot of participants to see the range and variation of how everybody's going to take that simple assignment, which has so much possibility in it, and express themselves through it. And I really hope that it'll come online, some of the results in the Facebook group. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that then that'll just, I think it'll just start to create a great positive feedback uh, to see how varied it'll be. I am, I am so excited. Like I said, even just seeing with the small pilot group, what they're doing, you know, and I see them like, Oh, Oh, I have to use that idea. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to take that and make it my own spin on it. Cause that's gorgeous. So yeah, I'm super excited to see what people do. It, it's true. And I think that we're com we're coming to a stage because uh, social media is so facile. And I mean, just think about 10 years ago, trying to put a, a color uh, photograph online. Yeah. And now it's just from the camera yeah. to the screen. It's it's so facile. And I think that there is room for uh, uh, dialogue in the nonverbal, just a dialogue yes. in the in the image space that's that will that we don't don't know where it's going to open up to. And I think that we have to do what we can to facilitate that. So. I love that. And I've done things before on um, creative self-care where we do like a weekend challenge where um, people pair up and then they each create an art piece and 
post it in the group, and then they each do like a visual response to their partner. And that's been very satisfying for people. I, I think it's great. And I think there's just so many other dialogues to explore besides sort of our mass media dialogue mm. that sort of somehow encompasses our that's a good point. Yeah, right. That's a good point. Uh, and but what these dialogues, uh, the visual dialogues, are completely apart from those stories and the and those words. It's so satisfying. So what, what can, yeah, I think so. And what can it open up to? And how can we be open to allowing those things to happen and take them as as real and as important as the other dialogues? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's this other way. You know, something I know from my work in art and expressive therapy is this. Uh, it's this other way of being seen. You know, and that's, that's a that. really yeah. key experience for humans is feeling seen. I, I think it's true. Well, th that's the selfie, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is not, yeah. this is yeah, not necessarily so. the yeah. face, you know, this is, this is, this is, and, but you're, you, what's being seen. And I find this is like, because to bring us back around to the inner critic, which I want, yeah. people are afraid, afraid to be seen. But desperately want to be seen at the same time. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and people I've worked with are, are afraid, not afraid to do it because of what someone else might say, but what it might reveal to them, you know, because it's, you're, you're seeing the selfie of the inner self. Absolutely. It's, it's scary. No, it is scary because we don't have the same ability to filter what we do in visual art as, or, you know, a bunch of different art forms as we do in our words. And so it can be scary. It can be scary because of that. It can be scary because of our own self-judgment. It can be scary because we live in a culture that really emphasizes the arts being for certain people to produce for us to consume. And that's a very different attitude, as you know, than what, you know, has, is held by other older cultures or um, was held in times past where the arts are something that are, is a, just a natural form of expression for every human, right? And for me, that goes back to, like, there's a, a great um, neuroscientist, Rex Young, I think his name is, um, who studies creativity, and that's his whole area of study. And he talks about creativity being anything that is novel and useful, so, you know, my favorite example with that is spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are creative <laughs> if you use that definition, <laughs> right? Like people who make jokes are creative. People who are good at telling stories are creative. People who solve interesting problems with engineering are creative. Like we are all creative by our nature. That's why we are human. It's part of what defines us. Um, and so... You know, for me, I love to give that. I'm sort of answer, I'm going the back way around to answer your question. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, part I love giving that information to people because it's you know part of what influences our feelings and our behaviors, the way that we frame things and think about things, and because we have this very uh, stilted, I think, inaccurate definition in our minds about what the arts are, it then creates a lot of um, self-censorship, right? So we have those creative impulses, but we feel like we can't. It stinks. 
you know, we sing to the radio and someone says, who sings that song? Well, let her, you right. know, things like right. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're pointing out one of the three uh, the big uh, uh, identifiers of the inner critic or the self-critic, right? Which, I, which uh, I think it comes from Joseph Campbell. And he says, fear, doubt, and social convention. Mm-hmm. And you're, like that. you're on the social convention there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, social convention is such a hard thing to, to overcome because, uh, yeah, we... And especially in this uh, uh, capitalistic product-based society that measures success on number of sales yeah. and popularity, uh, it makes it very hard to think about a single person with not much experience of being able to produce something. And so that becomes stifling for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a great point. So for me, a lot of it is just learning you know, to give yourself permission to be process oriented instead of product oriented to your point um that you know sometimes people say well you know why bother why make art well why not you know because it feels good why do you wear an orange shirt today because it made me feel good and so that's that's the justification for creating is because it feels good and we deserve and have a right and a need to create it balances out all that consumption we do yeah. So yeah, but so why go to the gym? Why eat correct. healthy? Yeah. Why why correct? Why create something? Why right. draw? And so it's somebody a, else might go to the gym, but your thing is that you create something. And so I think sometimes people also need that language to help explain to other people why they do what they do and help them feel like they have a a justification, so to speak. Yes, exactly. Um, for doing it. And I think that that is helpful and it is, it is important to have that because everyone is steeped in the culture we are in. And so you do need to have those words to be able to tell people that don't get it. That's good. That's really good. I think that that's true. That's, that's an important thing to point out that we, we are in the culture that we're in. And if we haven't worked our way around and overcome that, yeah, the words do help, mm-hmm. and, and the justifications do yeah. help. So that's great. And you must see, you must see that in uh, in your work to to just to get people to find the reason, any reason to let go. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I just to 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 um, validate it is scary, you know, to to make something and to try and to be a beginner. Uh, but that's another place where I think some of the Eastern thought creeping into our culture has been helpful because people understand concepts now like beginner's mind and, you know, where you're allowed to just be in a practice of something. So, you know, people understand that now. So you're in a practice of drawing or you're in a practice of painting and that it doesn't have to be quote unquote good. It's just a practice. Right. Yeah, that's some social judgment or mm-hmm. some inner judgment. Yeah, it can just be going ongoing. Like, well, not every push-up you do in the gym is good. Right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do them. Right. And that and doesn't mean it won't them. build up. Um, you practice them. And I think the other major place that people feel that um, origin of stifling or judgment, you know, comes, of course, from that larger context, but gets boiled down into probably well-intentioned or maybe not adults who, you know, shut kids down. Right. And then those kids become us adults who then remember that someone told them their drawing wasn't good or that they shouldn't do that or that their sister or their brother is the artist, not them. And so those things get very hard to overcome. 
until you start to uh, get introduced to some of these ideas and the concept that it's okay to create just because it feels good and that's the entire purpose of it. And yes, it's okay to also practice and want to get more skillful at it, but there's a difference in my mind between the process of making art because it feels and the acquisition of skill. And, you know, Uh, some people will be happy to just do what I would consider more expressive, emotive, cathartic art about their feelings, about their experiences, or just to explore colors, shapes, and forms. And I think that's extremely valid. And there are other people who are not going to be happy unless they acquire more skill so that they have a bigger toolbox to say what they want to say. Yeah, it's beautiful. The inside and the outside, and if and if it works well, uh, you can sort of bounce between mm-hmm. the two. You can you can be as expressive as you want until you go. Well, what am I doing? And then you can go on and do do some skill based yeah. technical work and develop until you say, oh, this is too tight, and I'm yeah. not getting it out, and the creativity's built up, and then you whoosh right. back over and start letting it loose again. And really, my favorite painting in the world and. Uh, uh, or style of painting in the world is where the um, realism and the uh, f- freedom uh-huh. of the brushstroke work hand in hand. Like uh, Franz Halls would be an example. I'm writing that down. Who, uh, is a du- <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> is a Dutch painter. And when you see the way, for instance, he paints lace, which is precise and free oh, at the cool. same time, you know, or or, or yeah. Manet, mm-hmm. Edward Manet, the yeah. impressionist, and uh, because they they. They're just on that beautiful edge that you're describing, and they have they have the uh, technical chops, but also they're they really want to get to the heart the of emotion, the feeling yeah. of what's happening in the moment. Yeah, yeah, to the to the emotion. Well, and I think that brings up another point too, which is that plays into these cultural myths about the arts, which is some people have this idea that when they sit down to do something, that they're a failure if it's not immediately amazing. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, it's almost like there's this idea that you shouldn't have to learn the skill, right? And I don't mean that like in an entitled way. I think that some people think that they're supposed to be one of those gifted people because there are those gifted people. I mean, I, I know some of them that seem to be born drawing beautiful drawings. That was never me, right? I'm someone who has to really practice and acquire (laughs) the skills, but you know, it's okay to not be one of those special gifted people and i think the myth is that all artists are those special gifted people and that's just not true that's not true that's not true uh and uh i know that feeling well and i avoided um drawing because i wasn't immediately good and Mm -hmm. i wasn't patient and and i found it uh difficult and and when you read the how-to drawing books uh, the sort of hardcore uh, rendering books, they're all, uh, it's like the science of the day. They're like all, when when the perspective drawing was developed in the Renaissance, those guys were the scientists. Yeah. It was a very technical yeah. thing. Drawing was a very technical thing. And drawing well and getting proportion right and all, it's a very, it's, a, it's almost a scientific thing. Uh, and so, uh, and I wasn't uh, that no. up for developing the hand skill at the time. So I went yeah. to photography. Because I thought, well, I can render with a camera. And I was always looking for that quicker way, mm-hmm. that quicker way. And then I went into computer graphics and I went into m- machining. But what I found over 20 years is sitting down with the pencil and transmitting it to paper is something different than all. You know, that's the, that's what I was looking for all along was that transmission. I was looking for a way to get that feeling, that creative energy yeah. out and 
onto the paper and back in. Uh, and the most direct way I found and the most uh, surprising way, because to draw technically takes a lot of setup and time and measurement and to draw with computer and to fabricate something, you know, can take weeks. Yeah. But to sit down in two minutes and get it out onto paper. Yeah, and I pencil, think what, so, I think so what you're saying brings up a, a couple of points about the inner critic, too. You know, I, I think that there's got to be room for giving yourself permission to learn skills and be a beginner and not know how to do it and have patience with it. But there's also got to be room for, you know what, this is frustrating and not fun to me. This is not what's going to feed me emotionally or right. kind of feed my soul. So photography is where it's at for me right now. And that's what I'm going to do. And I, I yeah. think that I like to give people permission to be in that balance. Like it's okay to be a beginner, but it's also okay to say, you know what, this is too frustrating. I'm doing this for fun. <laughs> so it, I have permission to say that's not for me, at least not right now. Yeah. Awesome. So um, I want to go even one layer more, <laughs> if we can, and look look down into that. What is that at the source of that? What is that motivation? Where's that coming from that we feel that way? Because you were you were speaking earlier about creativity, and you were talking about the spreadsheet, yeah. which I totally agree. And I always had a thing because I studied science and I studied art, and and there's a lot of groups like Leonardo and other groups uh, uh, that that try to bridge the science yeah. art uh, gap. And do science art projects, and I did that for for a long time, and uh, and it was always it was always incomplete for me until I realized that uh, underneath it, what what was connecting the two, because they're categorically separated, sure. you know, in our language, science and art, art. So there was really no way to ever get them really to be the same because they're by definition separated. And what is it's being said? It's creativity that's being separated, which is what yeah. you're saying is that well, under science underlying is insanely creative. Exactly, and and yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I so I got to that point where I was seeing creativity, and then I was seeing creativity not even just in the human, but what do plants mm -hmm, constantly mm -hmm. do? You know, the birds absolutely. and the bees and the animals and the there's the the the, the world's recre recreating and growing all the time. Out you look at the trees, and it's summer, and then it'll be yeah. fall. <laughs> So, so a, a winter scene will be created. So this creativity is sort of pervasive to me, all on all things and all around. And I'm just, just wonder your thoughts. Like, what's, what is this? This, how do we tap into it? And why is it that we feel like we want to make and do and grow? I mean, I don't feel like I can answer that on a scientific level. I think I can answer it for myself, and that will speak to some people, and it'll not speak to others. So, yeah, that's what we um, want to hear. Where I connect with what you're saying is just that, that there is so much, um, you know, really the only way I can, uh, the, the easiest way I can do it is, is this fluid art process that I've come up with is so much about taking advantage of natural properties. So, you know, I'm using fluid paint and really a big part of my job is to put things down and get the heck out of the way and just see what it's naturally going to do. And I see, for instance, natural patterns that come up in art all in, excuse me, in nature all the time, branching, right? So branches branch, but so does ice. Like if you see your windshield in the winter, it sure. and rivers, rivers branch, um, cracks in dry mud yeah. branch. Like it's just, it's pervasive. Yeah. It's everywhere. 
And, you know, if you look at the center of a flower or if you look at the inside of an acorn or if you look at the inside of a piece of fruit, like there's just patterns and patterns and patterns and patterns all over the place. And a lot of them repeat, too, like the branching. I can't think of another good example, but sure. uh, Oh, hexagonal patterns are quite common. Spirals, those kinds of things. So, you know, I'm in my art, I've been very interested in finding the intersections between the natural world and the art world and where the art finds natural patterns and where the nature creates patterns that I think are beautiful. (laughs) And I think there's a giant, giant overlap between them. And that's why I like seeing, you know, how can I set up a situation where nature is going to do its thing in my painting Mm, and then find some interesting patterns that mimic to a degree what's going on in nature to put with it so that I'm sort of collaborating. Yeah. Well, you say nature is going to do its thing in my painting, but on the other hand, you're just part of that. It's just (laughs) nature is doing its thing in making this painting. In making me, right? I mean, so what makes us want to create? I'm not sure. I just know that it, from what I understand in my studies, it is a part of our being. And for me, the way that that plays out, it's, you know, I consume a lot, right? I consume food, air, um, you know, probably a bunch of stupid stuff on social media, movies. <laughs> like I need to have an output. It's like, you know, the, the exhale to the inhale for me. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 information and the sensory input and the emotions are all consumed and digested and part of um where it needs to go is just uh is just out on paper or out in an object and that just as an energy though i think it just it's somehow it's a it's an energetic thing that that motivates like i think about um my mother for instance who i learned at the end of her life wanted to write a mystery novel that shocked me i had no idea Mm. and you know, I said to her, I was like, well, are, are, is it started? Are you going to do it? Oh, you know, I'll, I'll get to it. And, you know, only like a year or two after that, she died. And I just thought, you know, it's mm. uh, maybe it's not as big a deal to her. But it was sad to me that that never happened, that she never really had permission or, or something to, to really go with that creative impulse. And I think that that happens for so many people. And I guess I'm interested in giving people permission that if they want to do those things to go. Yeah. Well, we're lucky that you're out there giving permission, I think. And I think um, the more people who open up to that energy and get it out, I think that increases uh, compassion and sensitivity and openness to others. I think it, I think it has terrific. I think that's a great way to put it about the compassion for, for others and really just opening up a space for everybody's creativity and 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 not so much of this you know hey who sings that song let them <laughs> kind of attitude yeah yeah and you know it's e- it's easy to look at something yeah yeah you know but do mm-hmm. yours and try to show it you the, you're immediately vulnerable you see that vulnerability you can't yes, avoid it absolutely cool okay wow that was fun awesome awesome <laughs> yeah so it was one more one more fun one thing just to do a kick yeah that was really fun I that all day, actually that's and and the fact is that there's much more to say oh there's so much, really more. much more and i i, I have questions for yeah. you too but so i want to end if you will uh for 
what what our listeners here <laughs> it sounds so funny because i'm really just new mm -hmm. to podcasting but I, so for anyone who stumbles across right. this in the future or whenever who hears it and who wants to get started just some simple oh, if you have sure. any little simple exercise you want to pass um, on for us how do we start take a paper take something do something with it do something else with well, it well yeah and that's huge right doing variation um okay yeah let's let's roll with that so take some paint and, you know, and this is like not a revolutionary exercise or anything, but take some paint, put a blob on the paper, fold the paper in half, let it dry, and then take even just like a normal pen and see if you can add some eyes, some ears, some fur, some feathers, some little feet, and give yourself permission to just draw like a little kid and just to make it a fun, free kind of exercise. You might even do it with kids if that helps you feel like you have more permission to do something silly. Right. Um, but right. that's a good creative exercise that gets your, your, your brain kind of moving in a different direction. That sounds a little like yeah. Rorschach too, when you yeah, feel exactly. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope people will go to, um, creative self care on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. See what's going on there. I hope they'll, uh, go to the mindful Arts studio and check out your offerings there. I think they're awesome. They're really high quality. They're amazingly produced oh, and packaged you. and i think it'd make people comfortable um working with them and the feedback i hear is great and i know people that have done oh, that's them. awesome so thank you so much yeah and if if people are interested is it okay if i say the website for the class go, do, um, give, it's give, mindful yeah, .com forward slash fluid dash art um, and they can they can see a little video on the class and read more about it. Um, or you can just go to mindfulartstudio.com to check out my blog. And I've got a ton of free resources on there. I'm also on YouTube. Uh, so hopefully there's something. And it's true. And I've, I've even watched you do live, a Facebook live painting session. And I was like typing in little questions. Oh, on, on, on really Google fun. Hangouts. Yeah. Yeah. Those Google Hangouts. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. So those, those were really are fun. fun. That's really fun. So they're really there's a community there for people to get involved in. Uh, its benefits just can't be uh, overstated. <laughs> of being an art and sharing, and the community's part of it. Like in uh, in uh, Buddhism, the uh, the uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The 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 community is part of the oh, whole yeah. process, and being in that community, I think so. Important. Well, and I think that's a lot of what people are really into in at Mindful Art Studio. I think it's just it's very supportive. Very supportive, yeah, and very positive. I like the guidelines you put. I've, I've, I've used. I have to confess, a well, that's great. I'm happy. That's wonderful. Because <laughs> I thought they were really well written, and it creates a safe space and a space where we're not there to do a critique. We're there to support, you know. And I think that's really yeah. Because there's plenty of space. I mean, I'm sure there are people who want a place where they can get that critique, and that's totally valid. It's just not what what we you and I happen to be about something else. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so thanks a lot, uh, and um, there's plenty to say, so maybe we'll yeah, be able to talk again Yeah, that would be awesome. Sometime. I would love that. Thanks again so much for having okay, me. Terrific. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Drawing Your Own Path, Episode 4 with Amy Maracle. I appreciate your support, and uh, hopefully you'll join me again on Drawing Your Own Path podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>